Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're going to be taking a look at the new comedy film, action comedy, uh, Stuber. It's in theaters now. We're also going to take a look at a uh, A24 film that came to streaming services. It's on Amazon Prime, a movie called Under the Silver Lake. It's kind of a weird flick, and we'll talk about it more when we get to it. So if you're curious, stick around. Before we get to all of that, we need to talk about the news, of course, for the week. Our first story, Elizabeth Gabler inks content deal with Sony Pictures Entertainment and HarperCollins. This is an exclusive story out of Variety. If you're sitting there thinking to yourself, wait, I don't know who Elizabeth Gabler is. Good news. I kind of don't either. Andy found this story, so I'm hoping (laughs) he can fill us in. Andy, who is this person? Uh, so she's the steward of Fox 2000, which was not part of the Disney acquisition of 21st Century Fox. Uh, the Fox 2000 was let go and was kind of just adrift. And they were in negotiations with uh, several other companies to be acquired. Paramount was one. But they uh, will be at home with uh, Sony Pictures. Um, and the uh, way this is important is this studio makes films uh, based on books. They have a, a partnership with HarperCollins. Uh, and they make... Uh, films that are a little bit more risky, maybe a little bit more artsy. The reason that they didn't get acquired by Disney is because they don't quite make enough money. They're not quite as profitable as what D- Disney is looking to make because, of course, Disney's making big budget uh, films uh, these days. So, uh, But this is good news. It means a small kind of indie studio is being bought up by Sony Pictures, so they will keep making these kind of independent pictures. In case anybody missed it in there, uh, Andy gave a very concise explanation. It's very valid. Uh, but when Disney last year acquired uh, 21st Century Fox, yeah, they, they picked up some properties and they dropped some off. That's what you do when you buy a big company, right? And one of the ones they dropped off is this woman's uh, production company or the part of her production company, Fox 2000. Uh, the, some of the movies they've made since are uh, The Devil Wears... Well, since they started, they don't make any more because they're not around. They made The Devil Wears Prada. They made Life of Pi. Uh, Love, Simon, which came out last year, and most recently, The Art of Racing in the Rain, which is actually set to come out in theaters soon. They made that. So it's a little weird that Disney doesn't want a part of this, but you make a good point. I guess it's because they already got enough going on. They don't need book deals for movies that do okay. Like, of, of, of the movies that I just mentioned, those are the big ones, but I'm sure they've done plenty that did not do nearly as successful, and even those weren't exactly tremendous, right? Right. Well, the... The mid-sized film has been kind of a weird place because, uh, you know, a lot of smaller films end up on Netflix, but then what do you do with things that are bigger than that but that aren't big blockbusters either? So it's nice to have some studios that that are still going to take risks and kind of keep these things around. It's also worth mentioning here that this is just one of those things that happens in Hollywood. Like, it's it's tough for somebody who's reached a certain level of success to be driven out, even if, like, they're immediately fired or let go, or even if they kind of put out not great movies. It's something I heard about earlier this week. Uh, apparently, the last... No, not The Last Jedi. Uh, the next Star Wars movie. The Last Skywalker? What is this called? What is the last Star the Wars ri- movie? The Rise of Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker, yes, is written by J.J. Abrams and also written by the guy who wrote Justice League and Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. So for what it's worth, both those movies were terrible, and now that guy's writing a Star Wars movie. This is how it goes in Hollywood. People never really fail, or you fail upwards. I'm not sure. Either way, I'm anxious to see what they do, I guess. Uh, They'll probably hang on to that HarperCollins license. They're going to keep making book movies. Do we know that? Uh, Yeah, yeah, that's definitely going to be a big part of their... Of what they do, they'll, they'll focus on uh, both fiction and nonfiction uh, books and then bringing those to the screen. Mm. All right. Well, for anybody just tuning in, disregard the fact that I am 
part of a movie podcast, and I forgot what the next Star Wars movie is going to be called. There's a bunch of them. It's fine. Our next story, uh, Lashana Lynch will reportedly be the new 007 in Bond 25, but she probably won't be the next James Bond. For anybody who doesn't know, they're currently filming the next James Bond film, codenamed Bond 25, because it's the 25th film in the franchise. This story broke earlier this week regarding Lashana Lynch being pivotal part of the story maybe we don't actually really know andy what do you know about this um so so like this article says and, and that a lot of places have reported that she will be the new 007 and so this is kind of a the, um a theory that's been out there for a long time that james bond isn't a person that he's a code name and that different people kind of just assume the code name and the code number and so that uh, it looks like she will step into the role now is this saying for bond 25 or bond 26 this is what i'm kind of confused about I thought it was Bond 25, um, right. but maybe I'm wrong. Apparently, she was originally cast as a character named Nomi, N-O-M-I, and, and now this seems to be kind of leaking. Uh, I also heard about another leak involving Christoph Waltz's character from Bond's 24, Bond 24 as Blofeld in this movie, so mm-hmm. the, internet, the internet is working hard at kind of unraveling the mystery here, as the internet does. Um, any hot takes on... A woman playing 007. So this is a, an interesting situation because I, I've read lots of, of different t- takes on this. Um, Amy Adams, I think, specifically had said, um, you know, women aren't really interested in this role. They, you know, 007 James Bond is like kind of a sexist male, like, hero. And they're like, we're not interested in taking that over. We'd rather just have an original character, our own character, our, our own story. At the same time, I asked uh, some other uh, female friends what they thought. They thought it was it was a good thing. It was a good thing to have you know a traditionally male character be replaced by a uh, w- woman of color. Um, so there's a lot of hot takes going around. I th- I think it's a good thing. Uh, I think uh, you know it's it's kind of a troubled series in in a lot of ways. But it's nice uh, to see changes coming uh, to these ma- main characters. And and she was great in um, she played Maria Rambo in. Uh, Captain Marvel, and she was great in that role. Uh, so I think she will be really good in this as well. Right. For anybody that saw Captain Marvel and doesn't remember who Maria Rambo is, she is Captain Marvel's co-pilot in that movie. That's who, yeah. who she was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. She had the daughter. Yes, I remember her. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm split on this. We actually talked about it just the other night uh, when this news broke. Um, like on the one hand, I, I think. Uh, I agree. Like, I, I think women uh, in, in, in Hollywood are still, frankly, underrepresented, especially women of color. Uh, I think having their own series to kind of kick around in and not having to try to fit into a James Bond-shaped suit uh, would be awesome. I'm, I'm totally into that idea. On the other hand, it, there's, a, there's, there's a ton of movies like that that didn't work, right? You think of, like, Atomic Blonde or Aeon Flux or Nikita right. or, like, just... I Like, you can just... There, there's dozens of them that I can't even... And, and like... They, they just struggle to get off the ground. So to me, like taking something that is kind of, I don't want to say Bond is not doing well, of course, uh, but, you know, maybe a little stagnant as Bonds go and you kind of need a new one and somebody to fill the shoes and Daniel Craig's sick of doing it. Like, why not, right? Why not slight a woman? What's the worst that could happen? Worst that could happen, they retcon it and the next movie's a dude. Like, I'm sure this is a nice way of, like, testing the waters just to see how it goes. I hope they stick with it because I think it's a bold move for a series that needs some bold direction, just like Casino Royale did back in 2005. But ultimately, um, I think it's a good thing. I think. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I, I, have, I have trouble seeing the problems with it. Yeah, and it's important to, to remember this is not 
a confirmed thing. It's it's a strong rumor, but it's a, it's been reported everywhere, and that's why we're kind of rolling with it. Uh, we'll see. So it could change, uh, but I think it's it's a step in the right direction. But it's also important, and I always have to remind people this that um, you know representation isn't just about the temp poles; it's about the everyday films as well. And that uh, you know we need more representation in our smaller films, our medium sized films, our indie films as well. Not just uh, we don't want to just look at these tent poles and say, see, look there we're diverse we have to make sure it's it's something from the top down there's a lot of movie podcasts out there i think review podcasts that don't report on rumors let it be known that we're not one of those shows we talk about rumors all the time rumors rumors are bread and butter that's that's what a podcast (laughs) is really i mean that's just opinion and speculation and that's what we're doing here so um for what it's worth like i hope it pans out i really do this is part of the fun of the stuff and, and i'm interested to see where it goes keep it here on off script for more on bond 25 our last story austin butler Cast as Elvis Presley in Baz Luhrmann's biopic about the man himself. Yes, Baz Luhrmann, the man who made Moulin Rouge, is making an Elvis biopic. And we've got a young actor cast in the role who I've never heard of. Andy, who is Austin Butler and what's going on here? (laughs) Okay, so he's a uh, Broadway star. um, And he was recently, I think, had a really good run alongside Denzel Washington, uh, and I can't remember what the what the musical was, but he's a seasoned actor, and apparently they had a very extensive uh, search, and that you had top names like Miles Teller, Harry Styles, uh, Baby Driver. I can't remember his name. <laughs> El Elgort. Ansel Elgort. That's right. Yes. Um, so you, you had a who's who of Hollywood's young uh, actors uh, auditioning for this role, and they've. They went with uh, Austin Butler, uh, who said he had the right, the right look, the right feel. He had the right musical uh, talents, the right musical style uh, to play the king himself. Um, so that's that's who that's who this person is, and it's important to know because uh, I didn't know this. Uh, Tom Hanks is also in this movie, and he's set to play Colonel Tom Parker, who was apparently the manager, um, kind of handler of Elvis Presley, and controlled every aspect of uh, his life. So th- I, I think this is set up for a pretty interesting movie. Yeah, uh, it's certainly going to be something. It's definitely coming on the rise of music biopics like Bohemian Rhapsody or Rocket Man. Uh, so there's certainly, sorry, there's certainly a surge of these things lately. And you talked about this. Like, I remember hearing the, the hot take from you. You're like, here it comes. It's going to be a bunch of these things. This is what it's going to be. All. And I, I, what, what, did, what did you say about it? Am I am I misspeaking uh, for you? Well, no. I you know after the success of uh, Bohemian Rhapsody and all the money that Queen made on that uh, pretty uh, fictional movie <laughs> representation of their lives, uh, we're going to be seeing a lot more of these. Um, we saw Rocket Man. Now there's this Elvis Presley. I mean, I even saw Vanilla Ice is going to have a biopic, and Vanilla Ice literally had one song, and that was it. That was it. And he stole it. <laughs> yeah, and it you know, and it's like. You know, lots of careers are made of one of one song, but biopics shouldn't be made about someone who ha- who was a one hit wonder. Personally, right. but but there's a lot of money to be made in the music and you know reselling the hits, um, and so that's why I think a lot of these are getting made. I think it's there's a lot of money being made uh, by a lot of these artists. 
I guess if you're listening to the show, uh, do yourself a favor and Google this Austin Butler guy. For all I know, they could CGI him or, or, or mess with his face, but he does got a look. It's true. Like I, I can see it. He's, he's got he's got a jawline for, for the king. He's got something going on, and I'm curious to see how they do the music, whether they ADR it in like they did in Bohemian Rhapsody, where they just lay, lay, lay the sound of Freddie Mercury over our lead actor, or if they do like Rocket Man and have Austin sing it. Considering he's on Broadway and apparently they did a lot of work finding these guys, odds are he'll sing it, right? Yeah, I think they'd go with uh, kind of more live or definitely him. Yeah, he, he he's going to be doing the music. He's going to be doing kind of like um, A Star is Born. It's right. Be and, the, uh, that raw kind of performing. And one other thing, uh, you know, one of the things that I think is missing from music biopics that I hope it, it gets a little bit more on track is they're a little bit dishonest, right? I guess every biopic is, but they're a little bit... They, they glamorize our, our protagonist, right? Like, Freddie Mercury has to be the good guy in Bohemian Rhapsody because he's the main guy, and, and we can't talk about how he went to all these drug-fueled parties and the crazy things he did, because that would be too much. I hope this isn't the case with Elvis Presley. One, because the king lived a king's life, and I think it's worth honoring in full on screen. And two, because if you're going to put my man Austin Butler against Tom Hanks and act like Tom Hanks is the bad guy in this movie, that's simply not going to work. It just won't happen. <laughs> People love him. So I don't know what they're going to do, but I'm definitely interested to hear more. We'll, we'll have to check out this Elvis biopic when it comes along. Thank you, Boz Lerman. We should get into our reviews, of course. Andy has graciously agreed to take the summary of the first one. Andy, please take it away. Stuber. I'm LAPD. Let's go. Do you have a more specific address? Captain! So this is the new action comedy uh, directed by Michael Douse, um, starring Dave Bautista and comedian Camille Nanjiani. Uh, Bautista plays uh, a big burly cop uh, who's on a hot case. And uh, this was not in the trailer, but he, he gets eye surgery at the beginning of the film. He gets LASIK, and he, he can't see. And this is what actually the real reason he can't drive, which it, what wasn't explained in, in the trailer, but is actually... Uh, a clever uh, ploy. And Camille Nanjiani is, of course, his driver. And he, he plays, he's kind of a loser. He uh, works at the sporting goods store where the uh, the owner's son is his boss and treats him like crap. And there's this girl he's in love with and kind of probably gives too much uh, of the wrong kind of attention to. And so, you know, we get a buddy cop thing going on. We get action. We get a comedy, of course. And so they, they uh, kind of team up to you know crack this case of uh involving Dave Bautista's partner and you know different things it hits a lot of kind of uh cliche beats um that w- that we come to expect from cop films um and then and that's our setup uh like i said there's a lot of laughs uh there's a lot of things that work a lot of things that don't work um but we're going to get into all that uh Zach what do you think okay uh Stuber is exactly as advertised it is a 90 minute like buddy cop kind of goofy uh fish out of water comedy right our our, our main character is the fish out of water uber driver and and with this big ripped cop and it comes out next to like spider-man far from home and like Mm -hmm. nobody goes to see it and and honestly like it's a shame because this movie's really funny and it's a shame nobody's going to see it because it's 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 surprisingly charming i really had a lot of fun with it it's not incredible it's not going to blow your socks off, but for 90-minute comedies, you can do so much worse. We have watched a handful of films this year that were way worse than this one in theaters. And we've watched movies that are mildly worse than this one. Like, 
It was pretty good. <laughs> I, I laughed probably a dozen times in this movie, out loud in the theater. And I was able to do that because nobody was in the theater with me. I saw it alone. So uh, let's talk about Stuber. I, I, there's a lot I liked about this movie. I'm excited to talk about it. Sure. Um, well, let's start. It's a comedy. Let's start with uh, the jokes. Uh, there's a lot of humor and a lot of different kinds, visual humor, physical, like uh, Three Stooges kinds of gags crass jokes uh, there's lots of laughs there's, it definitely deserves to be called a comedy it um yeah it's a lot of good humor like there's something that really cracked me up towards the beginning is um you know he he's getting he's gotten this lasik he can't see but he tries to hop in his car and and drive away and he ends up just driving kind of all over the road all over the sidewalk through people's lawns and it just like it's hysterical like because he's just like mowing down people's trees and bushes and like it, it's it's great and it's this kind of I did not expect like that kind of a joke so there's a, a variety of humor in this yeah uh, the blind thing was an interesting touch um, for the basic setup I know you already got through it but we've got uh, Kumal Nanjani as Stu our Uber driver who's trying to work two jobs and just trying to make it work he lives in LA it's expensive right and we've got Dave Batista as this giant cop who's just trying to crack this case man he's been working on it so long and these, these two are odd kind of buddies, and, and Dave Batista can't see, which you're right, is not in the trailer at all. Like, that is never revealed that he is having serious problems with his vision throughout most of the film. Like, it's not just a little bit, and it's not overdone, but um, Kumal Nanjani, meanwhile, is struggling to get five stars on his Uber rating, of course. That's his, that's his whole thing. I gotta get five stars so more people will take my rides, and I'll make more money, and I'll get out of working Uber, and, I, and everything will work out. Um, so they both have their own motivations for figuring things out and they both have their own struggles and like, man, these guys bounce off each other so well. Like he's got a great background in comedy and, and Dave Batista, meanwhile, coming off things like guardians, of the galaxy, and also serious roles like blade runner 2049, like really brings the heat. And he's, he's a great, like giant oversized kind of goofy, but v- fairly serious copy plays it real straight. And like, it totally works. I was really pleased with the dynamic of these two, and I got a lot of laughs out of their very, very, very harsh, often vulgar one-liner jokes that I really enjoyed. I, I thought it was great. Yeah, we, we get a lot of uh, humor at Camille Nanjiani's uh, expense because, uh, you know, he drives uh, a Nissan Leaf, you know, a fully electric car. And, yes. you know, and the, there's this whole uh, conversation about uh, masculinity, which was really interesting because you have Dave Bautista, who's this man's man. He's a huge guy, he's a former uh, pro wrestler. And then Camille Nanjiani, he's, he's, he's a small guy. And he like he, no, he's not big. He's not ribbed. He's not tough. or He's not any of those things. So we get a lot of kind of laughs at, at the differences of those of those things and, and kind of how they the consolation of those as well. Um, this is also an action movie, so we get plenty of over-the-top action. We get some really good set stunts and set pieces and some really incredible violence out of nowhere sometimes. It, it's it's surprising because it doesn't happen the entire film, so when it does, it it's kind of shocking. Right. It's a good, it's a good punch like when it, when it wants to hit and it works really well. And our, uh, our very innocent Stu, right. Our, our Uber driver, um, experiences this all vicariously for us because he's a complete stranger to violence, uh, which is hilarious because, because you know, a lot of screams and shouts. And at one point he just passes out in the middle of a gunfight, uh, which is great for a laugh. <laughs> Um, I, I, there's, there's this really cool dynamic between the two of them about masculinity, which probably isn't, 
isn't bold enough in the film to really make a difference, but it's fun. Yeah, you've got him as this guy who's like, well, you, you can be a man and drive Uber for a living. It's fine. And you can cry when you hear an emotional song on the radio and you can hug. And you've got Dave Bautista's character who's been a cop all his life who's like murdered people for a living and like stabbed <laughs> a dude through the eye and like does not feel that way at all, you know, and like. You get a lot of, of, of good back and forth, and I think that really brings out comedy in action scenes in the film because one of them is screaming for help and the other one is just melting fools, and it's really funny, like, in a very charming way, of course, uh, not not violent comedy way. Um, what's next? So uh, I want to talk about the plot a little bit because this does help, help set up some of the comedy. Um <clears throat> The the plot is actually really thin beer. Like they're on the you know they're trying to catch this guy doing a drug deal who's responsible for you know a tragedy in uh, Dave Bautista's character's life, and uh, that that's pretty much it. And, they, and that just is an excuse to go kind of from set piece to set piece, which are all kind of cliche cop movie things. One of these things involves a strip club because of course all cop movies have to. Um, but this one's a little bit different because it's a male strip club and we get a ton of jokes in this place. Who's actually run by a, a very mean woman. Um, and, and again, it's another thing that the, the film kind of turns on its head. It's, and it's good for a lot of laughs. Yeah. We should talk about the subplots as well. Um, cause they're minor, but they're there, right? Uh, there's, there's this whole little subplot of, of the criminal that Dave Batista's character is trying to hunt down, right? Who's distributing heroin throughout the city and he's got to stop him. He's been chasing this case for years, you know? And, uh, you've got Stu's character who's starting up a side business with this woman. He's, he's really longing after, but he doesn't, he doesn't have the gumption to tell her how he really feels, so that's kind of a whole thing. And you've also got uh, Dave Batista's daughter, uh, who is running a art gallery show, and she really wants him to come out, but he can't see, so he ends up just kind of stumbling around. It's very like Gene Wilder, Richard Pryor, see no evil, hear no evil from 1989. It's got a very cool like clumsiness to it that's oddly charming in 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 the face of this big brute of a man who just cannot see to save his life and is very upset about it. So I really enjoyed it. Right. By the way, a very surprising appearance by Academy Award winner Mira Sorvino, who I don't think I've seen in a movie in like 10 or 15 years. Yeah, you mentioned her yesterday when we were talking about this. You said, yeah, Mira Savino won, won an Academy Award. And I said, for what? And you said, uh, a movie in the 90s called Mighty Aphrodite. And Andy, I swear on God and man, I I owe a house worth of money and student <laughs> loans for film school. And I've never heard the words Mighty Aphrodite before today. So for, for Mira Savino, for what it's worth, I'm sure it's a great performance. But man... Absolutely no cultural impact from that woman. And in this movie, she's all right, I guess. Uh, she could have been played by almost anybody. I, I didn't recognize her, but I definitely caught the name in the credits. I was like, wait a second. Why do I know Mira Sorvino? I guess it's just a particular name. Yeah, also, she... movie stars Karen Gillan? Gillian from yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy. She's also in this. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of neat. Um, yeah, uh, Mira Sorvino was big in the, in the 90s. She was had a, a few big movies and then was on TV, I think, and then kind of disappeared yeah that makes a lot of sense so one thing i want to talk about the way this movie's put together it's almost all on location and i love it these guys are actually it seems like at least i I might have it wrong but it looks like they're actually in la 
and it's got that like golden kind of sunset that that Los Angeles has and all of this a lot of the film is shot in and around this car and like it feels so charming when the guys are in the car and they're having an argument and they get out and they walk around the car and start arguing with each other I'm like you're really there you're actually on the side of a highway like it would have been so easy for a small budget comedy like this to do this on a soundstage do it cheap right do it easy lose a little green screen hide this stuff bohemian rhapsody use green screen for god's sake and yeah. like no they actually went out and shot stuff and it feels genuine it really helps you get into the film and helps to just feel a little bit more i don't know palatable uh than i feel like a lot of recent comedies i've seen really enjoyed that i, I really respect for the way this movie's made yeah it it's real sets, real people, obviously some stunt doubles, but um, yeah, they, there's not a whole bunch of, of CGI mess. Uh, it's important to also remember that uh, I think it's Ico Ua is in here uh, from The Raid, uh, action star. He's not really utilized as much as he should be considering who he is, but uh, he does have a couple of cool uh, fight scenes. Right, yeah. I, I didn't know who he was, and so yeah, he's, he's a, little, a little underused, but maybe he's trying to get into more comedy. I don't know. Um, I also appreciated the soundtrack to this movie. And I should, when I say soundtrack, I should say like the licensed music they use, not like the original score. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of good, a lot of good hits. I'm gonna be honest. I no lie, and this sounds goofy. Edgar Wright, uh, the director who makes Hot Fuzz and and uh, Baby Driver and The World's End and Shaun of the Dead. Uh, Scott Pilgrim, I love that guy. Every year, he's a big music fan. Every year, he puts out a Spotify playlist of his 50 favorite songs. This is gonna sound goofy, but hear me out. I could swear the first three or four songs in this movie come right off of those playlists. I'm right. not kidding. I didn't know if it was coincidence, but I was like, man, uh, somebody's an Edgar Wright fan because he's definitely like DJing this film for us. And I really liked it because it's great music. They, they made smart picks. They're good tracks. They're not forgettable. They get you tapping your feet for, again, for like a little 90 minute comedy that nobody's seeing. Pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. Yeah. I, I, was, I was very impressed. Um, there are a little, there are a few things that, that don't work. And I think it's important to kind of touch on that. Some of the jokes don't quite land. Some of the humor, like I said, and like I said, also the, uh, the plot is, is real thin, but it's, it's, it's so much fun along the way, like the jokes, the action that you don't really care. It's not that kind of movie. It's not a serious gritty cop drama. Right. The, the lines, these guys sling at each other and other people are, are, Totally worth it, like, just for that. You're right. Like, the, the plot is just a vehicle in which these guys to interact and yell and, and get angry at, at each other. And, and I think that's ultimately good for the film. That's what makes it work. That's why I like it. But you're right. Like, it is it is paper thin. The editing is not fantastic. There's definitely a few shots in this movie where I think they use some kind of, like, shaky cam post-fixing, post, uh, like, software to fix, like, a camera that was shaking on a car or something, and it looks right. real clumsy. And, and there's a few little mistakes and things you'll catch, but, um, I, I again, I, I I know I shouldn't judge a movie based on, like, how it's doing at the box office, but, like, I just... I, I went into this movie with my expectations just on the floor. Like, I really didn't expect much. I was like, yeah, it'll be okay. It's 90 minutes. Hey, it'll be over quick. And like, no, it was super great. In fact, uh, uh, I, I wouldn't mind it if they had expanded this into something more. Uh, had it been longer, I probably would have watched more. Had the plot been more fleshed out, I would have enjoyed it more. Like, I, I, I would come back for more of these two guys. Really, really thought it was that cool. Right. And, and, um, Camille Nanjiani, excuse me, Camille Nanjiani was in Men in Black, but in a 
you know, animated role. Um, so this is kind of the first time he's been kind of more central in a film, kind of probably since the big sick. Uh, <clears throat> so that's nice to see him in kind of a more mainstream role and hopefully he kind of gets more work. Yeah, hopefully he was great in the big sick, which he uh, co-wrote and directed with his wife, I think. Um, here's my question before, before we kind of wrap things up here in the age of direct to Netflix or direct to streaming films, how did this one escape it? And is it better for it? Should this have been a Netflix movie? Um, no, I, you know, it, we, there's people keep saying this about the comedy that, you know, comedies don't need theatrical releases or some people say, you know, I would just, I'll just watch it at home. It's, I don't need the theatrical experience and no disagree. You know, a lot of the, the laughs, a lot of the, especially a lot of the action is it's so much different on the big screen. Um, and also, I feel like comedies also benefit from large group viewings. Now, my theater didn't have a big group either, but the comedies I have seen, you know, something like uh, Booksmart had a really great crowd and, and people were cracking up. Or even when you see a Marvel film that has lots of humor, like, you know, uh, what me chuckling to myself is nothing. Me chuckling with a hundred other people turns into a big laugh. It comes in, becomes a communal thing. So I, I definitely enjoyed the theatrical experience and we should, we definitely shouldn't relegate the comedy to streaming only. Yeah. I'm in the same boat. Uh, it's difficult for me to look at this and say, this should have gone to Netflix. Would it have done better? Maybe it's hard. It's hard. To, probably like, I'm sure more people would have seen it. I'm sure it wouldn't be seen as like a box office flop. But ultimately, this movie will come to streaming services. It will. Like, there's no way it won't. And when it does, people will watch it, and I think they're going to be charmed. So if it makes it to Netflix, and a million people watch it anyway, what's the difference? I guess, like, popcorn sales? You know, maybe it didn't do so hot in theaters. But I think you're right. Like, ultimately, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to have movies like this in theaters. It's a bad thing to have, like, the Child's Play remake in theaters, because that movie was (laughs) trash. But, like, this one's creative, and it's fun, and I wish it hadn't come out next to freaking Spider-Man, because it probably would have done better. It's a shame. Um, mm. yeah. But it was really cool. So, yeah. Recommendations? Yes, recommendations. Uh, Andy, would you recommend Stuber? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a fun movie. Lots of laughs. Lots of action. It's quick. It's 90 minutes. It's in and out. It's not real, you know, you don't have any, like, raucous or... Uh, kind of American pie kind of humor. It's a little, little bit more dialed back. Um, it's rated R, so it's you get kind of that more mature level of content, both in the comedy and in the action. Yes, I would recommend it as well. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it, if I didn't come across. Uh, I, I thought it was a lot of fun. I think it's underrated. I, I hope more people see it. It probably won't do great in theaters. It will end up on a streaming service because I don't see people, I don't, I don't see this selling as like a premium in the Blu-ray aisle or anything. I'm sure it'll show up. And when it does check it out, I, I promise you'll have a good time. Like I said, little gory, uh, uh, definitely Kurt on the language, but if you don't mind that stuff and you just want to have a kind of a fun, goofy buddy cop movie, like worth your time. I think you'll enjoy it. And with that, we should move on to our next segment. Uh, it's been a minute since we've done one of these. We want to talk about two trailers. All right. Uh, two trailers that we think might be worth conversation. So, Andy, you want to please take it away with the uh, the headline here? Yeah, we're going to start with Mulan. It is my duty to fight Uh, so the past weekend over 
um, during the Women's World Cup final, uh, Disney released the uh, Mulan trailer in the middle of, of that. Um, I was watching it on a TV that was like half the screen was not working, so I couldn't really enjoy it. Uh, but I went back and, and watched it. People went crazy over this trailer. People were posting about it online. They're like, can't can't wait. It looks so good. Really excited. Um, and so what we get and what we see is... Uh, it, it, the first half is kind of a speech with Mulan and her kind of elderly, you know, aunt, grandma, uh, matriarchal figures who are describing why, you know, she's has all these qualities of, of a good wife. And, you know, it has that side of the movie and juxtaposed with a bunch of action scenes of her training and fighting, riding horseback, shooting bo- bone arrow, wielding a sword. A really cool trailer. It, it is really effective. And it looks really cool. And I would be normally be excited for it where Disney were their remakes not so shallow and <laughs> and uninspired. Um uh Mulan is being played by a Chinese actress named uh Yifei Liu. Um who I don't know, but uh her filmography is extensive. She's been in a lot of Chinese action films. I'm sure she's gonna be great. Uh Donnie Yen is in this Jason Scott Lee. Uh, it looks cool, but like I said, their remakes have just been really uninspired and kind of boring. Right. Uh, so let's, I pretty much feel the same way, but before we get into that, let's talk about what seems to work in this trailer just real quick. All right. A lot of color, a lot of, a lot of what looks to be on location shooting, which frustrated me with a bit of Aladdin, but I'm sure this movie will find a way to phone it in. But for what it's worth, Mulan (laughs) is... Mulan is primarily filmed outside, at least the original, right? The animated. Like, that movie is mostly outdoors, which implies to me that you're going to have to go on location and shoot, where, which is where I think Disney does some of their best live-action work. They do a lot of studio stuff nowadays and a lot of green screen, and I feel like people see through that, and along with what feels like writing that is just a complete rehash of the original, they tend to eliminate the things in the movie that are really charming and memorable and stick with you. It's worth noting in this film, as far as I read and Andy, if I'm wrong, tell me I read this movie will have no songs. There will be no music, right? It's Um, not going to be a musical. They're, they're cutting some of the Eddie Murphy's character, Mushu, the the dragon. There's no character like that. You know, they're, so they're, they're cutting some of these things that only work in animation. So when you think of, Mulan. Usually, what you think of is, is at least to me, is 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 the what is it? Let's get down to business. Be a man. Write the song. Let's get down to business. Right? Yeah. That's not gonna be in there. And there's not gonna be any Eddie Murphy. Mushu is not gonna be in there. Um, you're not even gonna get like we'll bring honor to us all, or probably even like those funny like goofy three like at the end of the film cross dressing soldiers. They're not gonna be in there. I can't imagine. Like. What's the movie then? You know what I mean? And like, that's frustrating with Aladdin. At least it was a little bit more passable and I think it was charming for it. Um, but this movie, like, I don't, I don't know where it's going. It just looks very underwhelming in the most overwhelming way because of Disney remaking Mulan. So I, what do what do you think about that? Yeah. If it weren't, if I didn't know where it was coming from and I just saw the trailer, I would think, Oh, that looks really cool. That looks like a Chinese Epic. Um, but knowing (laughs) its roots, knowing that Disney is just rehashing what they've done and taking out, like you said, a lot of the parts that are charming or that just don't work in live action. And also that this is a March release date, which is kind of a soft week part of the year as well. Uh, I'm sure it'll, I'm sure it'll make money. I'm sure everyone will go see it. We'll see it for the show. 
Um, but I, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm preparing to be disappointed. At least it's not this photo, the like you know CGI animals thing. I'm not right. real excited about. At least it's real people, real sets, that sort of thing. Right. Uh, sneak preview because we haven't gotten to it. Next week, Lion King on off script. We're going to talk about that. So yeah, subscribe today. I, I think you're right, and like you're 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 totally right about the look of it. Uh, if I hadn't seen the original Mulan or didn't know anything about it, or if this was called something different, I would think it was like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, like some kind of Chinese epic or like some kind of really cool. But like we've seen the Disney remakes. They're not doing that. They've never done that. I, I, I very seriously doubt this is going to be some kind of grand departure from what came before. This is going to be a very close shot for shot remake. Um, without any of the charm and soul and class of the original. And ultimately, it's going to be worse for it. So, like, cool, man, I guess. Like, another Disney remake, yeah. Um, It's going to be... And again, what it is is a good business move because, uh, obviously, there have been a lot of kind of clampdowns and censorship in China itself, China Chinese film, in the last year. And so this is a film that will play to both audiences. It'll, of course it's beloved by Americans and it obviously will probably be a, um, do well in China as well. So from a business point, it's probably a great move. Right. Um, Disney will inherit the earth. Uh, our next film we should talk about, uh, speaking of (laughs) underwhelming trailers, uh, should I do this one? Do you want to, are you cool with that? I'll take it. Get, I'll do it. Go it's ahead. Fine. Go ahead. It's fine. <laughs> uh, this is the trailer for A King's Man. I know you want to fight, but there are other ways of doing your duty. Come on. So, A King's Man is the third in the Kingsman series i guess of the kingsman films right those movies with the gay, the kid who plays rocket man taron edgerton that came out a couple of years ago where he's like a british spy or whatever and colin firth is with him and like that's kind of cool and teaches him what's up they're made by the guy who made x-men first class uh this is a prequel to that film this is set in i think world war one or two london where uh the kingsman service is just starting up right they're just they're just figuring out that Britain or the UK or wherever these things are set need some kind of secret service that nobody knows about. And and they're going to call it the King's man. And that's going to be it. So our title, a King's man is the first one who starts the whole thing. And it's going to be cool. It's got some uh, kid I've never seen in a film ever alongside Ralph Fiennes, who looks to take him under his wings, similar to Colin Firth in the other Kingsman films. Andy, any hot takes on a King's man? So I actually enjoyed the look of this. It I thought it looked a lot better than um, Kingsman Golden Circle, which I saw the trailer. It looked interesting. I didn't see the movie. Heard it, it wasn't real great. This reminded me actually a lot of Wonder Woman in its look of kind of 1910s uh, World War One era in in the look of it. Ray Fiennes uh, sounds great. I mean, he he brings a certain seriousness to the role. I mean, he's done Shakespeare. Uh, he's played bad guys uh so i i like what he's his take on on that kind of uh mentor character it's cool uh Gemma arterton is going to be in this wells aaron taylor johnson i'm not real familiar with matthew good uh so we'll kind of see how he does it's a february release which is also weak uh so we'll see it's got some potential i think 
Yeah, I guess I'm in the same boat for all of my my harsh talking around it. Um, I could be okay. The reason I'm skeptical is because, one, I saw Kingsman and remember very little of it. And, two, I skipped Kingsman Golden Circle because it didn't look all that awesome. And every time I see a trailer for one of these things or hear something about it, I think, like, surely they're not making more of those. There's no way those things are making enough money, like, to keep to keep making. And, like, nope, here's the third one. And it looks to be, if I didn't know any better, a soft reboot. Because we don't have Colin Firth, and we don't have Taron Egerton. We have some other kid we've never heard of. And another British guy who's also pretty charming. Like, I- I'm not sure what they're going for exactly. <laughs> and I'm not really sure who this is pandering to. I can't imagine Kingsman has a diehard fan base that, like, can't wait to see a prequel for how it all gets started. But maybe I'm wrong. I, I don't know. I can't say I have my finger on no. the pulse of these people. <laughs> Next, we're going to see Kingsman 2049. It'll be futuristic. Right. Kingsman 3000. Yeah. The future of the Kingsman or whatever. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know where it's going. I I, I, I guess I'm into it. Uh, we'll probably end up watching it for the show for what it's worth. So keep it here on off script for more. And with that, we should get to um, some of the boldest cinema I think we've watched this year. <laughs> Yeah. For better or worse. Uh, this is an Amazon Prime streaming film. You can watch it now if you have Prime. Uh, this is Under the Silver Lake. Who moves out in the middle of the night? Nothing strange about it. She wanted to leave. How does that not make sense? I don't understand why she didn't tell me. Maybe she didn't like you. Maybe she knows you're poor and haven't paid your rent. So, Under the Silver Lake is a story written and directed by David Robert Mitchell, the writer and director of a film that came out last year called It Follows, a horror film. If you didn't see it, it's because it was also an indie like this one. This was this movie was produced by A24, which is a studio Andy and I both love because they make a lot of really cool movies. They made Booksmart. They made Mid-90s last year. Midsummer. They do a lot of things. Midsummer. They do a lot of things that are really cool and really different and, and really high budget and, and surreal. And this one leans into most of those things. Under the Silver Lake is the story of Sam, played by Andrew Garfield, who was the second Spider-Man, if you remember those movies. The Amazing Spider-Man, he was the second one. That was him. Yeah. Uh, Sam is a millennial kind of layabout loser, loser. in LA. <laughs> Some would call him a loser. Uh, he's unemployed and he doesn't really have a whole lot going on, but he seems to be, if I had to guess, a, a former aspiring actor of some sort. Uh, he's a big fan of movies, silent films, old movies, got posters all over his walls. He lives in LA, of course he is, and he goes to eccentric parties with all his aspiring actor and actress friends and uh, carries relationships with a few of them because he's young and he's kind of a creep but we'll get to that. Sam is a bit of a voyeur, right? He looks out his window at people, like very Hitchcock rear window style with binoculars. And he sees one day when he's spying on his weird neighbor with parrots, uh, a woman going down by the pool, a, a new girl at the apartment complex. And he takes a fancy to her and he ends up speaking to her that night and kind of strikes up a conversation. Ultimately wants to pursue a relationship with this woman. But the next day he discovers she's disappeared. Vanishes out of twice trace. And everybody asks and everybody talks to either doesn't know where she went or doesn't have a good answer for why she could have just disappeared in the night. I mean, her whole apartment's cleared out. And ultimately, Sam tries to find out where she went. And in trying to track down this woman, he ends up unraveling and stumbling into this kind of conspiracy theory ideal of what L.A. might truly be under the surface. Or rather, under 
the Silver Lake. And with that, we should talk, what a segue, we should talk about what this movie does right and what it doesn't do. Andy, what did you think of Under the Silver Lake? So what's interesting is uh, I've heard very divisive things about this movie. Some people, this is on some people's top tens. Uh, some people have also said this is the hottest trash they've seen in a decade. <laughs> yes. So so that's why we're watching this because it was it was really hard to kind of, other people couldn't make up my mind for me. I had to actually sit down and watch it myself. Um, there are some interesting ideas in this movie. Ultimately, I don't think it, works together cohesively it reminds me of lots of great movies hollywood mystery movies uh things like chinatown or mulholland drive um but it's not as good as any of those and it's definitely i mean it's it's damn near ripping them off uh in a lot of ways um so i kind of got into it about an hour and 45 minutes in i was like starting to get interested because it's a long one it's a two hours 20 minutes Right. Let's, I guess, start with the plot. Then let's move into theme, and then we'll go from there. Uh, the plot is long. Like you said, it is two hours, 20 minutes. It is far too long for what it is. This movie could have been much shorter. But Sam, our main character, uh, carries, like I said, a handful of relationships throughout his life, none of which are ever really explored. And you never really get to know Sam all that well at all. Um, you kind of just have to figure out what's going on in his life around the way, along the way. And it's a very much slice of life movie. That way, it's like the camera just got dropped in his apartment one day, and we just have to figure out who he is. There's no exposition. Nobody's ever like, "Hey Sam, how's that job you're working? Tell me about what you do for a li-. doesn't happen." Like you just kind of have to figure out that he's young and unemployed and carries a relationship with a number of people because he just does it throughout the movie. There's no inner monologue. He doesn't talk to the camera. He doesn't explain to other characters the person he is or what he's doing. He just wanders through life and we get to wander around behind him regardless of where he goes. Now, when he starts to unravel this mystery of Los Angeles based on a fanzine that he reads from a, a local bookstore um, written by some kooky conspiracy theorist who also lives in town, uh, things start to get odd. Because suddenly you start to realize our, our main man, Sam, here may not be the most reliable of narrators. In fact, I would argue Sam is experiencing visions throughout a good chunk of the film that are never really explained whether or not they're reality or fiction. It's hard to say. Uh, I got online after I watched this movie trying to figure it out, and everybody's got different opinions on what's going on. Uh, nobody really knows what is reality and what isn't in the film. It's very surreal that way. And wandering through modern L.A., Sam finds himself doing a lot of surreal things, talking to people wearing super kooky outfits or... Weird parties. Weird parties or running from a murderer or going to a club that's inside of a graveyard, like under the surface of the graveyard, in the graveyard, or stumbling into a bomb shelter that may not be a bomb shelter. Like, And none of it's ever explained. It just happens on screen and you just watch it and you, you take from it what you will. And any hot takes on that? So the plot reminds me a lot of uh, Mulholland Drive, which uh, I don't think you've seen. Um, there's a lot of bizarre things in that film as well, but that film is a brilliant piece of work by David Lynch and is about a lot of deep things, dreams, meanings, reality, uh, 
but it does it so well. It's it's the it's got the master crafts. This is like the poser attempt at at that kind of thing. Like we do all this this bizarre like you know we meet these bizarre women at these bizarre parties and do these bizarre things. But it like none of it ever really comes together in a cohesive like plot or what's the underlying meaning or what are we supposed to be getting out of this? Uh, the other thing is uh, is like he's really kind of a creeper, and the whole movie is is really kind of, uh, as Mark Kermo said, casually sexist. Um, all the women are like models and they're all either naked or half naked, uh, kind of throughout the whole film. It's almost like it reminded me of like a 13 year old decided (laughs) what the women should do in this film. Um, yeah, they're simply there for the male gaze. They have no purpose other than to look good or be murdered. Um, so that's really, really problematic. And, and again, we don't get anything out of it. It's not like he's making a commentary about like male, female sexuality or relationships or, or any of that. Or if he is, it's definitely not coming across. So it's, it's really pretentious and it just goes nowhere. Yeah. Uh, Sam, our main character should be perceived as a creep, but for some reason isn't because he's played by Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield is attractive. So, Usually, I think most people in the audience just kind of put him to the side. Like, oh, well, he's not really that bad, but, like, he has violent tendencies. He seems to not have a conscience, and if he does, I I wouldn't understand where it comes from. He might be a sociopath, maybe even more, depending on how you read the film, but a lot of it is up to you. It's kind of just a series of set pieces that our character wanders through, and we just have to perceive it as you take it, right? Your own thing. Now, the set pieces are well put together. That's worth that's worth mentioning. Like a lot of these clubs or weird parties he goes to are actually like really interesting visually. A lot of on location shooting, not a lot of studio stuff. So it feels like okay when they're at a party in a morgue. That's not a morgue. It's a moratorium. What am I trying to say? Uh, what a bunch of dead people are graveyard. I guess it feels like you're at a party at a graveyard. Like you're. It feels like you're there. And the movie thematically pays tribute to a lot of things i think because that's what it is in hollywood right when you're not you don't steal ideas you pay tribute right ideas that came before right so the 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 rear window stuff that's very hitchcockian right like that's intentional Uh, there's tons of old movies scattered throughout this and and when you go to the graveyard scene like i had mentioned there's tons of old hollywood celebrities buried in there in fact one of the graveyard stones has hitchcock written in huge letters on it just in case you would mention it. tons of david lynch kind of stuff uh, in a way it reminded me of the coen brothers and something like the big lebowski and this surreal stumble through los angeles as our unemployed uh narrator sees it but it's not funny at all and like yeah. it never really pays off and the plot never really goes anywhere it's very odd there's this whole joke about him smelling because he gets kind of squirted by a skunk early on in the film and then throughout the whole rest of the movie people comment about how he smells um and it's supposed to be a running gag and it's never funny no one ever laughs like no i didn't i didn't laugh once i didn't even exhale through my nose Uh, it was it was that kind of uh unfunny uh so the plot doesn't work it's a total mess it's really pretentious it's really pretty sexist there are some good things there are some interesting things so we should probably uh talk about what those are um, yes. C- cinematography is great. Like the way it's shot and the way it's produced uh, is really compelling, I think. I agree. Uh, I think this movie is actually really well shot. Really well shot. It's it's beautiful. Uh, a lot of the, like, it looks good. It's always tight. It's almost always locked on a tripod. So you're not getting a lot of shaky cam or anything weird. 
And it's just kind of peaceful in that way, like in that we're following this guy around who doesn't really have a whole lot of motivation. Like it's never really aggressive. It's usually just pretty chill and, and you're meant to just kind of sit back and just take it in visually. And it works. Light, great lighting. Uh, there's some really charming tributes to old Hollywood with eye lighting on our female character, Raleigh Keough's character, um, if I pronounce that correctly. Yep. Uh, and, and, and I really enjoyed the way they do the blinds and like filming him through there. And it's, it's creative and it's set design. Like I said, the sets look great and, and the on-location shooting looks fantastic. Uh, it's creative and it's kind of structure. Uh, Sam has a couple, uh, has a friend that comes over and plays Super Nintendo with them. Or it's actually just Nintendo, not that it matters. And they talk about video games, which I liked. And like, that was relatable. So ultimately, it, go ahead. Oh, it, so it did the thing that um, if you've seen It Follows, It Follows was very uh, ambiguously in its timeline because in that film they had cell phones, but they didn't, but they had like, you know, big tube TVs. Like the, the technology and the, t- and the time frame is juxtaposed. There's things for multiple. And the, we get the same thing in this movie. And that's the thing with the Super Nintendo. Like he has Nintendo magazines. Why? Because there aren't, playstation and xbox like nintendo is still it's like the it's like the gaming gaming is 20 years behind in this film um, right same thing with there's a, a thing about kurt cobain he's like yeah i just saw him last week or something that like the kurt cobain is still alive in this film so it's it it fudges with the um the setting like where you are in in time and it's that's a theme that he didn't in the past film. it doesn't work quite as well in this one or it's not quite as apparent um and or as effective and I think Hollywood loves like love letters to itself, right? Absolutely. In film. And and this is in a weird way both that and a critique, but because its setting is unreliable and our narrator is unreliable and there's really no exposition, um, it doesn't really get anywhere. I, I like I, yeah, I just didn't get what it was trying to say. I'd say it's certainly some kind of battle between the old and the new, right? Old Hollywood and new Hollywood. We have older folks in this movie who seem to be running the world and, and older dead people in this movie who seem to have created the world that our character Sam is in. And Sam is this young, unemployed, go-nowhere kid who just doesn't have anything going for him and can't catch a break. And I'm like, okay, there's certainly some element of like what came before versus what is now. I guess that's important. But like, I, yeah, that I, that sums up that whole theme in, in like 30 seconds. You don't have to watch a two and a half hour movie to get that. So, <laughs> Yeah, um, uh, yeah and they get there's this whole thing about like secret messages or hidden codes in popular music, popular magazines, uh, you know, basically Illuminati level super rich people controlling the world through secret societies and the homeless as well. Homeless code. We meet the homeless King, uh, which again is reminiscent of much greater films um, like Mulholland drive. And that's ultimately if I wanted someone to watch a good Hollywood mystery, there's a slew of other movies I would pick. Yeah, I, I think I'm in the same boat. Uh, one other thing I liked about this, the score I actually really enjoyed. Uh, really, really, really well put together score. I'm not sure who did it, but... And I liked the performances. Andrew Garfield was cool for what he was. I, I don't know what he was trying to do, but I enjoyed watching him. I Somehow I didn't think his character was a creep, so he must have done a good job. Um, but yeah, it just... It, it's It felt like some kind of like cinematic acid trip, but without like the fun visuals uh it was just odd like it just it feels like you're floating through some kind of surreal experience for two and a half hours and like i it's difficult for me to say 
you won't find anything in it because half the world has this thing's got a 51 on Rotten Tomatoes, which means half reviewers liked it and half didn't. It's divisive. You're either into it or you're not. And I can't say where you're going to be. But I am curious where Andy lands on it. So, Andy, are you about ready to wrap up? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Andy, would you recommend Under the Silver Lake? I'm going to go with a pretty strong no. Um, it has some interesting things that probably film nerds, cinema files, and uh, you know, film school students will lo- love. There's probably a bunch of stoners sitting around talking about how great it is. Ultimately, it fails on a number of points, narratively, thematically. There's some... Like I said, cinematography is good. The score is is pretty interesting, but it's just so long and so slow and so kind of pretentious and goes nowhere that I, you know, I can't in good faith recommend this to anyone. I'm <laughs> gonna blur some lines here. I'm gonna go with a blanket no, but a very very small, very quiet yes. <laughs> like it, it, and I'll tell you why because ninety eight, despite the Rotten Tomatoes ratings and the fifty fifty kind of ideal, I would say ninety eight percent of the people I know in the world would absolutely despise this movie. If you turned it on, they'd watch it for three minutes and be like, "I don't know where this is going. I'm out." It is not for so many people, but there's just a select few. I mean, if you're real passionate about cinema and you love art house and you like weird and kooky and you think. Movies like that are your bread and butter. Maybe. It's tough for me to say you you won't like it because I don't know for sure. Like, I, I walked out of this... I walked out of this movie. I got up from my chair because I was watching my living room because it's on Amazon Prime. Thinking, like, maybe? Like, I still didn't really... I still don't really know how to feel like it. On the one hand, I think I like a lot of it. On the other hand, there's a, there's a ton that totally doesn't work. So, like, I, it's tough for me to say what you're going to get yeah. out of it. It's very subjective. Yeah, I like, I enjoyed parts of it. I would be afraid to subject anyone else to it. Right. And I won't watch it again, which is why I would say <laughs> yeah. not worth your time. Uh, so maybe if you're looking for something real off the grid and you want to go on a mystery adventure to see what's up, go for it. But don't say we didn't warn you. That's under the silver lake, I guess. Mm-hmm. And with that, we should wrap the show next week. Andy, what are we watching? Uh, we're going to be watching the Lion King remake, uh, the yes. big, big release by Disney this week. Um, and nothing else is going up against it and there's not much on streaming. So we're actually going to try to catch rocket man, which we missed a couple of months ago, but it's still playing at our local art house theater. Um, we've heard really good things about that. So we're going to add it back to our list and, uh, we'll be back next week with those. I'm only excited to see rocket man because we missed it. And I felt like it was a bit of a white whale. I was like, Oh man, like a lot of people, you know, I, I remember people asking me, you going to cover that on your show? And I was like, yeah, and we never did. So I'm excited to get to that in some fashion. Uh, I, man, <laughs> if, you, if you haven't seen early reviews for The Lion King, do yourself a favor. Don't don't look at them. Just listen to the show. We'll 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 cover it next week. So uh, um, we're we're both very excited to see that, I think. Uh, if you want to be a part of the show, if you want to tell us what you thought about Stuber and whether or not it was worth your time, or if we're totally wrong about this Under the Silver Lake movie, and it's great. If you want to tell us we're nuts about Mulan and it's going to be cool, The Lion King will likely be cool as well. And if you want to weigh in on the 007 female, email us at mail at offscriptfilmview.com and let us know what you think. We'll talk about it on the show. We read correspondence. We're all about it. We love the fans. Uh, we This show wouldn't be what it is without you. So thanks so much for listening. Uh, check out our website at offscriptfilmreview.com. It's actually just offscriptfilmreview.com. There's no at in front of it. There is an at in front of our Twitter handle, 
which we have at Offscript Film. <laughs> Uh, check out our Facebook. Uh, we're on Instagram as well. Andy's killing it over there with posts. Come join the conversation. See what we got going on. And uh, most importantly, if there's anything you can do for the show, if you've enjoyed what we've done here today, just subscribe. That's the biggest thing. Just hit, just hit that big subscribe button. I promise you'll feel better. Next week, the show will just show up on your phone. You won't have to think about it. And you can listen to it. And it'd be great. So... Thanks for listening. This has been Off Script, the home of Bold Cinema. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening.